recording the podcast for a while I've been busy doing other things and today I'm here um, I'm in central London and I'm with uh, Tony Hickson who is um, a filmmaker and a writer and uh, I collaborate uh, with him on several projects and our company is called Savage Amusements and uh, Tony is uh, from uh, Newcastle and I'm from Bologna, Italy and we create uh, live performances, films and sound art. We uh, incorporate various styles of performance and music, um, puppetry, storytelling. We are a unique partnership between a European and a Northern English creator. We also support the idea of Total Theatre and we are very passionate about creating performances and films. We have a website uh, that you can visit uh, www.savageamusements.wordpress.com and I will put it on the notes on this um, podcast episode. Um, like I said, Tony's here with me today and uh, I will ask him some questions about uh, his projects, projects that he's done on his own and projects that he's done for Sa- Savage Amusements. Tony, uh, where does the name Savage Amusement comes from? Uh, the name Savage Amusement, it, it's an expression from the 1970s or earlier. My, my grandmother used to use it if she'd seen something that was considered to be low-brow entertainment. If if she watched a television programme and it was rubbish, she'd be like, that savage amusement or whatever. So that's where I got the expression from. And it just stuck with me over the years. If I ever saw anything that was considered to be, you know, rubbish, crap, whatever, be you know, savage amusement. I quite like it as a, as a term considering we work in theatre and savage amusement would be like the starting point for what we do. 
in essence, if we... I, I, I do believe in the idea of total theatre, so that could be anything from puppetry, which people in the UK consider to be, you know, not a high art form. Whereas in Europe, European theatre, puppetry is it's an art form in itself. But so that that's where that idea comes from, and I like the idea of using whole lots of different elements in the theatre. Like it could be music, it could be singing, it could be any sort of primitive dance puppetry and then there's the audio visual and spoken words so there's and poetry as well there's no stopping point for the performance as I see it because I think if it's on a stage it's theatre and anything goes um, your grandmother why was she um, an inspiration for you was she a performer was she into art or... no no the complete opposite I, I suppose um, her seeing any performance, you know, if she liked it, she liked it. If she didn't, she didn't. It was very cut and dried. I mean, I wouldn't say she was an expert in art or performance, but just one of those people, if she liked it, she liked it, and that was enough, you know what I mean? Okay, great. And uh, so you, you talked about um, a lot of uh, the theatre and styles that you, you like, but. Uh, what would you say is the type of theatre that you, that really inspires you? Yeah, well, whenever I go to the Edinburgh Festival, I've seen some good theatre there, and always the theatre has been from European theatre groups, and it's always been very physical, very modern. Occasionally I'll see a, um, a performance from a UK group, and um, I saw one a few years ago by a company called Pigeon Incense, sorry, Pigeon Incest, mm -hmm. and they only did one show at Edinburgh, and then I think they split up, but it was a musical, I, I, it, was, it was quite difficult to work out what it was about, it was a musical about uh, somebody who murdered somebody who lived in a wardrobe, it was just, it was crazy, but it was so mad, that's what was good about it, and it was very low budget, but a lot of the things at Edinburgh they had loads of money spent on them, the English shows, and most of them just weren't very good. It was just two people sitting at a table having an argument, and that's what passes for theatre, you know, in the UK. Yeah. So it sounds like um, this company was more creative, even though they didn't have um, a lot of money. They, they used... Um, yeah, sort of I think sometimes... Um, the limitations of budget forces people to be more creative. Sometimes the less money you've got, the more you can come up with. Whereas when you throw money at a project, sometimes what you get isn't very good. And when you go to Edinburgh and you see people who are paying like 6,000 quid a week rent on a theatre, and then you go and watch the show and it's just crap. Um, you um, uh, work with film uh, and had you've had a lot of films um, in festivals so why did you why and when did you start creating these films um, I first became interested in film when I was about 13 or 14 and I had a, a, a little camera and I made some stop-motion films and it was quite expensive in those days because I was just at school I didn't have a lot of money but it got me interested in creating work that was different and that was the good thing is, because I wasn't trained as such, I didn't have any rules or regulations in my head about how a film should be or how it should look. 
so they, they were very me they turned out the way I wanted them and since I was 14 I mean I've had about 30 short films in about 60 different festivals yeah and what do you have any filmmakers that you you like at the moment um, I quite like um, sort of animation and puppetry of a, a filmmaker called Jans Fankmeyer who was a Czechoslovakian a Czech filmmaker and I've seen some of his films in the 1980s and they were really really good very experimental very um, he, he drew elements from the theatre of the time in the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia as it was then and the, the sort of tradition of European puppetry so it's very experimental, very interesting, very different. For example, where do you get your inspiration for your films? Uh, like, let's pick like one of your films, which um, was called Dog Boy, and um, what, how did that come about? Uh, Dog Boy was a documentary. I, I was driving along the seafront in Whitley Bay, and I seen this guy dressed up in a latex dog outfit, and I just thought, that's unusual to see. So I, I parked the corner, I went and asked him if I could make a documentary about him, and then I just gave him my number and then the next week I went and I filmed a day in his house and then I took him to Newcastle City Centre, walked around and I just filmed him there. And it was quite interesting because it was uh, two days of filming and a documentary that it was quite difficult to get into festivals. I did have some screenings but uh, because, because of the subject matter it was very niche. So what happens is you get pushed towards uh, gay film festivals and that and it, it didn't get, I think it got in one film festival, but the, the, the main London one, the BFI Film Festival, that's quite weird because I believe that it, it was discriminated against because, you know, they'll show films like, um, they'll show films like um, Frozen or something like that, and, and, which is a Walt Disney film. I mean, Walt Disney had very specific ideas about gay people. Mm. And, uh, but my film was basically about sex and fetishism. And I think that's one of the reasons it didn't get in. It, was, it wasn't commercial enough because these people get sponsorship from big banks. And like obviously a big bank like Barclays wouldn't want to be associated with a film like mine. And uh, do you want to talk about another one of your films which is more like um, not documentary style? Because you, you obviously use lots of different styles, documentary or animation, you know. And um, uh, it'd be good if you could talk to, about another one of the films. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I've done a film called Captain Ratty Intergalactic Space Crusader, which, which was in about five or six festivals. One of them, an animation festival in Slovenia or Slovakia, or um, I can't remember where it was, but it was, a, it was a good festival. And they invited me over, but I, c I couldn't go because I was busy. I think I was going to the Edinburgh Festival to do something else. But that was using puppets, but it was uh, very specific. It was using like taxidermied mice, gerbils, and little. Um, there was a guinea pig in there, or a, a gerbil, yeah, and a rat. So that was quite interesting because it's not a lot. Not a lot of people have done that sort of thing. So when people seen it, they weren't sure how to react. So it got some good press and it got some bad press. But I think when you're making short films. It, People need to be able to like either talk about them or it, it needs to create debate. You know, like with theatre, if you do something, 
people can't just walk out the theatre and go, oh, that was nice, and then that, they never speak about it again. It should create some kind of question. It should make them think about what they've seen, or, or even if they, even if they really hate it, it's a good reaction because it's like, well, what did you hate about it? Why did you? Why did a piece of theatre make you hate something? So it's good in that way. Because you also created the taxidermy, didn't you? So, which is a, a performance in itself, I suppose. Yeah. Did you create it? Yeah, I mean, I created that. Um, I got interested in that a good few years ago. And then, um, yeah, so I created the characters. And, and I will use them again in another film, but it's just, it is a time-consuming program, um, process. process, making short films. I mean, some are faster than others, but... Uh, puppetry, it's, it always takes time. Live action is quite quick, but puppetry is always takes a lot of time because you have to build the sets. And like, even though you build the sets out of cardboard, they're still not cheap. You said you might do more work with the, with these puppets. Have you got any other ideas of what you want to create in the future, also with uh, Savage Amusement? Well, with Savage Amusement, um, it's good to have some kind of interactive... Uh, thing with like a film being projected on a screen and then you know the, the, the actors on stage can interact with that so I mean in the past we're sometimes limited by constraints if you've got like 10 projectors you know you might not always be able to use them because if you're doing a small theatre or a fringe venue you know they might not have the, the facilities to for you to use all that so Sometimes the money, the lack of money does hold you back, but I think in the future, I think it's just get, finding a nice space and be able to work in that space. So we'll, we could create something more site-specific if it's allowed. I mean, when the pandemic's finished, I don't know if how many fringe theatres will be still available or, you know, could we get stuff on anywhere? Because everybody's moved on to Zoom, which, to be honest... I'm not a big fan of because lots of the things I've seen on Zoom tend to be quite uh, unrehearsed, not directed, just somebody talking into a camera and say, well, that's not really a performance as such. It could be used as part of a bigger performance, but on its own, I think Zoom has its limitations. Yeah. About the state of the theatre in the UK in, at the moment? Well, I mean, before the lockdown, uh, I mean, Things were sort of moving along as they always do, but I think now after the lockdown, lots of fringe theatres will, I think, vanish because the amount of money people need to run a venue, it's just not viable. And also, when the theatres do open, will will the people go back? You know what I mean? When I, the last time I was at the Edinburgh Festival, I, all the shows I saw that were really good were like from companies from outside the UK. I think the only the only good show I saw was by a company called 1927 from the UK and their style of theatre is very specific to them and I, I loved what they did and I think everybody in the audience liked what they do and then when you come to London you've just got all West End musicals which I'm not you know I'm not against West End musicals they do bring people into the theatre and create money but you know people need to have um more experiences in the theatre it can't just be the same old shows that go on again and again and again it's like theatre in the UK is a very specific thing it's like 
if you do anything outside of the box, people are like, oh, it's experimental, but it's like, it's not really experimental, you know what I mean? It's just, you've done something a little bit different. I think it's, the problem is, the sort of producers, they're just, they're just in it for the money, and they're not keen on creating good art, you know, they won't give free reign to somebody like me who's, who would just say, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this, that, and the other, and they'd be like, oh well, will people come and see it? And I'm like, well, I'm not bothered, we just, I just want to do a good show and something that excites me, you know, and if people don't turn up, well, it's like, it's not my fault, is it? But I think with Savage Amusement, we're just going to create our own thing, and if people like it, they like it, if they don't, they don't. But the best thing we can do is just push our style of theatre, and hopefully people will like it, and they'll see that we have good elements within that because theatre obviously it can't stay the same things are going to change and hopefully the future will be very different well it will be in London because money in the lockdown will change things whether people like it or not yeah what do you think of like you talked about it before a little bit about the stuff online you don't really yeah or do you think it could be incorporated in in I mean, you can, you can have elements of audio-visual in your theatre, which is what, what I like to do. We have, like, sound loops, uh, film loops, video projection, but, you know, this, this Zoom thing, everybody's gone on to Zoom to do these rehearsed readings and these plays, and most of them, 99% of them are just shit. It's, I've seen it. Just some somebody who can't act, who's reading off a bit of paper into the lens, looking at the lens, no direction, and it's like, what, what is this? It's, 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 it's just fucking rubbish, you know what I mean? It's just wasting people's time with crap, you know what I mean? And like, the internet's got enough crap on it anyway without all these Zoom performances of somebody's brilliant play they've written, you know, and nine times out of ten, the crap. Right, thank you very much, Tony. I will uh, continue this conversation in the next episode five. Uh, but for now, thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. One day, King Arthur and his knights were hunting in a forest. The king wandered off from the rest of the hunting party to pursue a heart. As the king killed and butchered the male deer, a mysterious knight appeared and demanded vengeance from Arthur. He told the king that as he suffered a great wrong at the king's hands, he would only let him go unharmed if Arthur promised him to return to the same spot in a year's time with the answer to a riddle. What is that women want most? If Arthur cannot answer the question correctly, he will lose his life. Arthur told the knight Gawain of his predicament, and the two of them travelled throughout the land, collecting as many answers as they can gather from all the different people they met. It was during this travel that Arthur met Dame Ragnall, a monstrously ugly woman. She had only two large teeth, like boar tusks, and animal paws with claws, and a large mouth enormously wide.
surrounded by grey hairs. Dame Ragnall offered the king to give him the answer to the riddle if he agreed to let her marry his knight, Sir Gawain. Arthur fearfully and reluctantly agreed, and she gave him the answer to what is that women want most is not beauty, no youth, not even love, but its sovereignty. And just as she had promised, this proved to be the correct answer and Arthur was saved from death. But now still remained the issue of the marriage between Dame Ragnall and Sir Gawain. Despite her hideous appearance, Gawain never hesitated for a moment to marry Dame Ragnall, and because of his kindness, Dame Ragnall revealed her true appearance. She was in fact a beautiful woman who had been put under an enchantment. Gawain was surprised by the change of appearance and asked her what happened. Sir, she responded, I am your wife and you must choose as my beauty will not last. You must have me foul in the daytime and fair at night or fair during the day and foul at night. You must choose one of the other. Which would you prefer to save your honour? Alas, said Gawain, the choice is hard. To have you fair only at night would solely grieve my heart and take away my honour. And if I desire to have you beautiful in the daytime, at night I would have a meagre reward. I would like to choose what is best, but I have no idea what to say. So I give you the choice, do as you like, whatever you wish, I put it in your hand. The lady responded, thanks to you kind knight. May you be blessed, for now I am honoured. You will have me fair both day and night, as long as I live. Sovereignty freed her from the enchantment. Their marriage brought great joy and renewal to all of the kingdom.
ago, there lived a merchant and his wife. They had one child, a girl called Vasilisa. One day, the mother placed a little doll in the child's hands, and she said, My child, I'm dying. Take this doll as my blessing. Always keep it with you, and never show it to anybody. If anything bad happens to you, give the doll food and ask her for guidance. Shortly afterwards, the mother died. The merchant soon became lonely and decided to marry again. He married a widow he thought would be a good mother, but both she and her two daughters were envious of Vasilisa's beauty. They gave her heavy outdoor work to do so she would grow thin and her face turn ugly in the wind and the sun. Despite this, Vasilisa became more beautiful every day. For each day, she gave her doll food and asked for advice. Having finished eating, the doll would help her with the tasks and even bring Vasilisa's herbs to prevent sunburn. As the years passed, Vasilisa grew even more beautiful as her stepmother's hatred for her intensified. Then, whilst Vasilisa's father was away on business, the stepmother moved the family to the edge of a dense birch forest. This was not just any birch forest, for in this forest lived the terrifying witch Baba Yaga, a witch who ate people like others ate chicken. Every day, the stepmother sent Vasilisa into the forest, but the girl always returned safe and sound with the guidance of her magic doll. Then, one night, the stepmother crept around the house and extinguished all the candles. As the last candle failed, she said in a loud voice, It's impossible to finish our work in the darkness. Somebody must go to Baba Yaga and ask for a light. I am not going, said the first stepdaughter, who was stitching lace. I can see my needle. And I am not going said the second stepdaughter, who was knitting stockings. I can see my needle. So Vasilisa was thrown into the dark, forbidding forest. Despite her fear, she fed her magic doll and asked for its advice. And the doll replied, Don't be afraid, Vasilisa. Go to Baba Yaga and ask her to give you a light. All that night, Vasilisa walked nervously through the forest, holding the doll who guided her path. Then suddenly she saw a horseman rushing by. His face and clothes were white, and he was riding a white horse. As he passed, the first light of dawn appeared across the sky. Then another horseman came by. His face and clothes were red, and he was riding a red horse. As he passed, the sun began to rise. Vasilisa had never seen such strange men, and she was very surprised. She walked all day, until at last she came to Baba Yaga's hut. The fence around the hut was made of human bones and crowned with human skulls. The gate was no gate, but the bones of men's legs. The bolts were no bolts, but the bones of men's arms. And the lock was no lock, but a set of sharp teeth. Vasilisa was horrified, and she stood still. But suddenly, she saw a horseman. He was dressed in black. His horse was black, and the horse's harness was black too. 
the horseman galloped up to the gate and vanished as if into thin air. Night descended, and lo, the eyes of the skulls crowning the fence began to glow, and it became as light as if it was day. Vasilisa shook with fear. She could not move her feet, which seemed to have frozen to the spot, and refused to carry her away from this terrible place. All of a sudden, she felt the earth trembling and rocking beneath her, and there was Baba Yaga flying up in a mortar, swinging the pestle like a whip and sweeping the tracks away with a broom. She flew up to the gate and sniffing the air cried. <laughs> Vasilisa came up to Baba Yaga, bowed low to her and said very humbly, It is I, Vasilisa, Grandma. My stepsister sent me to you to ask for a light. Oh, it's you, is it? Baba Yaga replied. Your stepmother is a king's woman of mine. <laughs> very well then, stay with me for a while and work. And then we'll see what is to be seen. And then she shouted, Come, open up my gate so wide. The gate swung open. Baba Yaga rode in her mortar and Vasilisa walked in behind her. Now at the gate there grew a birch tree and it made as if to lash Vasilisa's with its branches. Do not touch the maid, birch tree. It was I who brought her, said Baba Yaga. They came to the house, and at the door there lay a dog, and it made as if to bite Vasilisa. Do not touch the maid! It was I who brought her, said Baba Yaga. They came inside, and in the passage an old grumbler rumbler of a cat met them, and made as if to scratch Vasilisa. Do not touch the maid, you old grumbler rumbler of a cat! It was I who brought her, said Baba Yaga. You see, Vasilisa? She added, turning to her. It is not easy to run away from me. <laughs> my cat will scratch you. My dog will bite you. My birch tree will lash you and put out your eyes. And my gate will not open to let you out. <laughs> Baba Yaga came into her room and she stretched out on a bench. Come, black-browed maid, give us something to eat, she cried. And the black-browed maid ran in and began to feed Baba Yaga. She brought in enormous amounts of food and beer by the barrel. Baba Yaga ate and drank up everything, but she only gave Vasilisa a chunk of bread. And now, Vasilisa, said she, take this sack of millet and pick it over seed by seed, and mind that you take out all the black bits, for if you don't, I shall eat you up. <laughs> Baba Yaga closed their eyes and began to snore. Vasilisa took the piece of bread, put it before her little doll and said, Come, little doll, eat this bread, my dear, and I'll pour out all my troubles in your ear. Baba Yaga has given me a hard task to do, and she threatens to eat me up if I don't do it, said the doll in reply. Do not grieve and do not weep. 
close your eyes and go to sleep, for morning is wiser than evening. And the moment Vasilisa was asleep, the doll called out in a loud voice, Turtles, pigeons, sparrows, hear me. There is work to do. On your help, my leathered friends, Vasilisa's life depends. Come, answer to my call. You are needed, one and all. And the birds came flying from all sides, flocks and flocks of them. They began to chirp and to coo, to set up a great to-do, and to pick over the millet, seed by seed, very quickly indeed. Into the sack the good seeds went, and the black went into the crop, and before they knew it, the night was spent, and the sack was filled to the top. They had only just finished when the white horseman galloped past the gate. On his white horse, day was dawning. Baba Yaga woke up and asked, Have you done what I told you to do, Vasilisa? Yes, it's all done, Grandma. Baba Yaga was very angry, but there was nothing more to be said. <coughs> she snorted. I'm off to hunt, and you take that sack yonder. It's filled with peas and poppy seeds. Pick out the peas from the seeds and put them into separate heaps. And mind now, if you don't do it, I shall eat you up. <laughs> Baba Yaga went out into the yard and whistled, and the mortar and pestle swept up to her. The red horseman galloped past and the sun rose. Baba Yaga got into the mortar and rode out of the yard, swinging a pestle like a whip and whisking the tracks away with a broom. Vasilisa took a crust of bread, fed her little doll and said, do take pity on me, little doll, my dear, and help me out. And the doll called out in ringing tones, Come to me, O mice of the house, the barn and the field, for there is work to be done. And the mice came running, swarms and swarms of them. It was getting on toward evening, and the black-browed maid set the table and began to wait for Baba Yaga's return. The black horseman galloped past the gate. Night fell, and the eyes of the skulls crowning the fence began to glow. And now the trees groaned and crackled, the leaves rustled, and Baba Yaga, the cunning witch and sly, who gobbled up people up in the wink of an eye, came riding home. Have you done what I told you to do, Vasilisa? she asked. Yes, it's all done, Grandma. Baba Yaga was very, very angry. But what could she say? Well, then go to bed. I am going to turn in myself in a minute. Vasilisa went behind the stove, and she heard Baba Yaga say, Light the stove, black-browed maid. Make the fire hot. When I wake up, I shall roast Vasilisa. And Baba Yaga lay down on a bench and began to snore so loudly that the whole forest trembled and shook. <laughs> Vasilisa burst into tears and taking out her doll put a crust of bread before it. <laughs> Come, little doll, 
have some bread, my dear, and I'll pour out all of my troubles into your ear. <laughs> For Baba Yaga wants to eat me. And the doll told her what she must do to get out of trouble without more ado. Vasilisa rushed to the black-browed maid and bowed low to her. Please, black-browed maid, help me, she cried. When you are lighting the stove, pour water over the wood so it does not burn the way it should. Here is my silken handkerchief for you to reward you for your trouble. Very well, my dear. Very well, my dear. I will help you. I will make sure she sleep and run away, Vasilisa. But won't the three horsemen catch me and bring me back? Oh no, replied the black-browed maid. The white horseman is the bright day. The black horseman is the black night. They will not touch you, Vasilisa. Vasilisa ran out into the passage and the cat and the dog ran at her, but she threw them a piece of bread and they let her pass. When the birch tree tried to lash at her, she tied it with a ribbon, and the birch tree let her pass, and the gate was about to shut before her, but Vasilisa greased its hinges and it swung open. Vasilisa ran into the dark forest, and just then the black horseman galloped by, and it became pitch black all around. How was she to go back home without a light? What would she say? Why, what would her stepmother do to her? So she asked the little doll to help her and did what the doll told her to do. She took one of the skulls from the fence and, mounting it on a stick, set off across the forest. Its eyes glowed and by their light the dark night was as bright as day. As for Baba Yaga, when she woke up and seeing that Vasilisa was gone, she asked the cat, the dog, the birch tree and the gate. But they told Baba Yaga that they let Vasilisa pass because Vasilisa had thrown them food, greased the gate and put a ribbon around the tree. Baba Yaga flew into a temper. She began to beat the dog and thrash the cat to break down the gate and to chop down the birch tree. And she was so tired by then that she forgot all about Vasilisa. Vasilisa ran home. She saw that there was no light on in the house. Her stepsisters rushed out and began to chide and scold her. What took you so long fetching the light? They demanded. We cannot seem to keep one on in the house at all. We have tried to strike a light again and again but to no avail. And the one we got from the neighbours went out the moment it was brought in. Perhaps yours will keep burning. <laughs> they brought the skull into the hut, and its eyes fixed themselves onto the stepmother and her two daughters, and burnt them like fire. The stepmother and her daughters tried to hide, but run where they would, the eyes followed them and never let them out of their sight. By morning, they were burnt to a cinder. All three, and only Vasilisa, remained unharmed. She buried the skull outside the hut, and a bush of red roses grew up on the spot. After that, Vasilisa went into the town, and made her home in the house of an old woman. One day, she said to the old woman, I'm bored sitting around doing nothing, Grandma. Buy me some flax. 
The best you can find, the old woman bought her some flax, and Vasilisa set to a spinning yarn. She began to weave cloth, and it turned out so fine that it could be passed through the eye of a needle, like a thread. She bleached the cloth, and it came out whiter than snow. Here, Grandma, said she, go and sell the cloth and take the money for yourself. The old woman looked at the cloth and gasped. She thought it was so beautiful that it was only fit for a Tsarevich to wear. So she took it to the palace. When the Tsarevich saw it, he was filled with wonder. He asked how much it would cost. But the old woman told him that this cloth is too fine to be sold and she brought it for a present. The Tsarevich thanked the old woman and showered her with gifts and sent her home. But he could not find anyone to make him a shirt out of the cloth, for the workmanship had to be as fine as the fabric. So he sent for the old woman again, and he asked her to make a shirt for him. But the old woman told him that it was Vasilisa who made the cloth. Well then, let her make me a shirt. The old woman went home and told Vasilisa all about it. Vasilisa made two shirts, embroidered them with silken threads, studded them with large round pearls, and giving them to the old woman to take to the palace, sat down at the window with a piece of embroidery. By and by whom should she see but one of the Tsar's servants come running toward her. The servant asked Vasilisa to go to the palace. Vasilisa went to the palace, and seeing her, that Tsarevich was smitten with her beauty. I cannot bear to let you go away again. You shall be my wife, said he. He took both her hands in his, and he placed her in the seat beside his own. And so Vasilisa and the Tsarevich were married. And when Vasilisa's father returned soon afterwards, he made his home in the palace with them. Vasilisa took the old woman to live with her too, and, as for her little doll, she always carried it about with her in her pocket. And thus did they live for many a day, and wait for us all to come for a stay. I'm an actress, writer and artist who inspires audiences through storytelling, art, film and performance. I have a unique voice, both alluring and thought-provoking at the same time. Mine is a multidisciplinary practice which includes the following. I work as an actress in theatre, TV, films and voiceover. For my acting work, please view my website www robertagotti.com As an artist performer, I've created live performances, experimental films, sound art and drawings. As a writer-performer, I've written several solo shows, performed nationally and internationally. Themes explored are female issues, 
in particular female sexuality, the subversion of traditional gender roles, the psychological concept of reality and illusion, fairy tales and their symbols, urban stories and autobiographical elements. Another aspect of my practice is experimental films, screened nationally and internationally. In my films, I mix original footage with archive films. The films explore the concept of personal mythology, how our identity is shaped by a connection with the past and our ancestors. To view my films on my YouTube channel, go to Instagram page at Roberta Gotti Actress, links in bio. I also create drawings. My inspiration comes from a myriad of places, including women, literature, flowers, film. To look at the drawings, please go to www.rubiesenchanteddrawings.wordpress.com. If you've been listening to Ruby's Enchanted World, and if you've enjoyed the podcast, please share it with friends. Thank you for listening.